Good morning. It's good to see you, Redeemer family and friends. Um, Ma'am, it is good to behold the Lord um, and to behold him together. It was, uh, man, yesterday was, was great. Thank you to those of you who came out and laid sod yesterday. Um, that, was, that was a lot of grass, uh, 60 pallets of grass. Um, but I, I think like approaching 60 people laying 60 pallets goes faster than 60 pallets sounds otherwise. So, um, man, praise God. Uh, it was a, a fantastic day of doing that together. Um, let's, uh, let's get started. First Peter chapter 3. Let's, let's pick up where we were. Um, where we have been in this great letter from our brother Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 3, open there with me. Um, and let's, let's stand together as we get started today. And let's read the word of God together. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. But on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to, do, to what is good? But even if you should suffer for, the righteousness, for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, over the last several weeks as we've walked through First uh, Peter together, uh, we've, we've managed to cover several cultural landmines. Uh, thank you, Peter. Uh, honoring the government, uh, instructions to household servants, suffering, submission in marriage. Uh, that's quite a ride. Uh, but all, also necessary for us. Uh, there's no corner of life where difficulty and pain won't reach. And likewise, God's word speaks into each corner. So how will we compose ourselves uh, in a fallen world? Peter's going to just get right into the heart of it and get more deeply into, uh, into us. And we can want to be good citizens, want to be good employees, good spouses, and we can even know what to do. But when the bullets begin to fly, when mistreatment comes, we're going to need more than desire. Uh, to walk like Christ in suffering, we're going to need Christ to help us. And so as we go through today's passage, I want us to consider this question. Uh, what do we need in our sufferings? And I think we're going to see three things. Number one, we need a new heart instead of new circumstances. And number two, we need to bless more than we need revenge. And number three, we need gospel courage instead of fear. Let me pray for us. Father, we so uh, desperately need you. Apart from you, uh, we have nothing. 
We bring nothing to the table, but, 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 but Father, by your grace, you give us gifts. You give us courage. You give us your grace to walk through many things. And so, God, would you, would you give us your grace today? Would you speak uh, through me? Would you speak in spite of me? Would you help us to hear and believe the truth of your word? And we need your spirit to do this. Would you, would you work in us today? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I, I don't know if you're like me in this. I, I do know you're like me in this. Um, but usually what I want is I want the bad stuff to stop. Can I get an amen on that one? I want bad stuff to stop. I'm all about the comfort. Um, most days right now, I, I feel like I'm just asking, Lord, would you just make COVID go away? Um, and and like, like many of you, I... I I know the Lord has taken me through a number of difficult and painful seasons in my 40 plus years of life. And by God's grace, I think even just even more slightly more, I rest in his sovereignty uh, and in his, uh, his peace uh, each, each time I go through something. Um, but when I'm honest, I, I'd rather just my circumstances change. Uh, but life doesn't always work that way. In fact, Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble. And he gives no timetable on the trouble, just that it's going to be while you're in this world. God doesn't transport us away from circumstance. Instead, what he gives us is what we need to walk in them. And so here we go. Number one, we need a new heart instead of new circumstances. So instead of a plan from Peter here to fend off persecution, he's going to give us a list of attributes. So starting in verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. So he's just jumping in. So first he says, all of you. And this isn't all of you. Like He's not referring back to uh, the unjust governors or uh, to to employers or to uh, unsaved spouses. He's talking all of you, all of you followers of Jesus. If you claim the name of Christ, then here's who you need to be. Uh, This is not a random list. Edmund Clowney describes these as, these are just like fingers on a hand. Uh, They all work together. So so here here we go. Here's the heart that that we need. Number one, he says, be like-minded. Remember when Jesus prayed in John 17, what did he pray for? He prayed for our, our oneness, our unity. He said in, in verse 21 of John 17, Jesus prayed, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. And then a verse later he says, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me. Unity in the church, this, this word for like, like-mindedness, literally same-mindedness, that this, this stuff isn't easy. Um, this is more than just not fighting with people. Um, these, are, these are minds that are fixated on one hope, an army of people uh, walking in the same direction, singing of and longing for uh, the same future. Like-minded does not mean uniformity. Uh, like All of you must prefer bacon over sausage, mac over PC, free birds over chipotle. No, that's not what this, this it's not uniformity. No, people are different. Yesterday when we uh, were laying sod, when we didn't know what to do, uh, we didn't just ask everyone. 
we, we said, hey, Phil, Brandon, tell us what to do. Scooter, tell us what's next. Like, we, we knew who to ask. But, but there, were, there were other differences, right? Some guys moved fast. Some guys took just massive piles of sod and carried them. Um, uh, others, others were more the detail uh, workers. Austin, Gabriel, Daniel, uh, Lucas, Mark, Steve. These guys saw them a lot on their knees, cutting things, uh, cut, cutting little patches, filling in little holes. Uh, and then others were smart. They got wheelbarrows. Uh, and they were, they were taking loads of grass, not on their shoulder, but with uh, wheels on the bottom of it. Uh, and then for some of us, they were like, hey, can you just take some pictures? <laughs> like, uh, that's, we, we recognize that. You'd be better at that. No, that, nobody said that. Uh, but, uh, but we all had different things we were doing. I did Musa too. Uh, but but uh, there, were, there were different approaches, right? Different methods, but one mind. Uh, true like-mindedness is, is where powerful tensions live within the same family uh, where very different people can be very different together where race political leaning preferred music style economic class these may differ but all are together one mission one savior one lord paul said he said it this way when he was talking about our 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 minds and how we are to be of one mind he said have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So you want to experience unity in the church? This sort of like-mindedness? Have the same mind of Jesus, a mind of service, of humility, one, one mission, one purpose, not uniformity. Mobs have uniformity. Angry mobs are, are uniform. Uh, be saying one mind, one goal, humility. Same king. And then what else? It says be sympathetic. So how can we be of one mind? He's saying we also need to be of the same feeling. Sympathos, same feeling, same pain, same joy. We feel for one another, with one another. How, how do different people sh- share the same mission? Because they have hearts that are actually bent toward each other. This means when a fellow Christian Grieves. We don't simply recite the grieving script. We don't just contort our faces and say the right words. No, there's a unity of feeling that occurs in God's people. So that, so that when you hurt, I hurt. And this isn't just because we're extra sensitive people, um, that we're good you know, Hallmark Channel watchers or whatever. No, this is from the spirit. This is the feels of being in a family. Uh, when, when you see a, a family member, a loved one, lose someone that, that is close to them, there's the shared grief, right? Why? Because if you lost, I lost. Sympathy is a readiness to join our brothers, our sisters in their joy, in their grief. It's identifying their pain, identifying with their pain, with their weakness, their difficulty, rejoicing with the ones who rejoice. When one member of the body suffers, all are suffering. Why? Because we're for each other. If, if you have pain, I feel it. If you have success, I feel it. Uh, he just told husbands something like this, right? He said, live with your wife in an understanding way. This doesn't mean understand them like, like get a science book um, or like understand them like you'd understand a combination lock. Uh, just crack the right code and then you get, you know, you get everything arranged the way you want it. Uh, no, it means let their weakness cause you to feel weak. Where they are hurting, let their pain feel like pain to you. Join them in it. Anticipate their needs. Feel it with them. Meet them there and then help them there. Protect them there. 
when, when I do marriage counseling, and, I, and sometimes I'll notice the competition. Um, and then when one spouse talks about a promotion they received or a compliment they received, it's like the, in the other spouse you can sense, hey, there's like a jealousy, jealousy here. Uh, there's, a, there's a desire to downplay the compliment. Um, that's, that's not a good sign, right? Uh, sympathy is, is a kingdom ethic. Why? Because Jesus did this for us. He knew our weakness, our frailty, our need. And he didn't mock us for it. He didn't crush us for it. No, instead he came to us. He became like us. Just this week we read in, in our CBR, our Bible reading plan, that Hebrews 4, that Jesus, the great high priest, he sympathizes with our weakness. He doesn't exploit our vulnerability. He doesn't guilt us into obeying or worshiping. No, he saw the weakness of our humanity and he took on flesh so that he could feel our pain, so that he could experience loneliness and temptation and hunger. He, he, our, our sympathetic king, he came, he entered in. And so now it's our turn. Brothers, sisters, be sympathetic. And he says, he says also, love one another. Actually, actually do it. Like we talk about loving each other, but do it. Love one another. This is, this is what it is to be the family of, of God. We, we've got two, uh, two new families that, that joined the, the church uh, just last week. It just went through our membership class. I think there's three other families that are going through uh, their meeting with one of the elders this morning and, and going through that process. Um, and, and, and in a few weeks, we'll introduce those families to you. And, 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 but here's the incredible thing. You get to love them. Like, you get new family members like, they get to love you. It's unbelievable. The love of sisters, of brothers, it's yours now. This is what family does. Like, when I, when I see or I hear my, my kids, like, when they, when they cheer one another on, like, at a baseball game, or when I hear them congratulate each other after a play, man, that's like, that's like that moment of, man, man what, a, what a blessing. That's, a, like, a proud moment as a father. There's a lot of other moments as a father, but that's a proud moment as a father. Uh, that you're for your brother, you're for your sister, laying yourself down, thinking of them, laughing with excitement when something good happens to them. Christians, you're not almost related to each other. You aren't Facebook-level friends with God's people. You aren't like we go to the same school, we work at the same office building, sort of close. No, you have something that your lonely, lost neighbor wishes that they had. You have Jesus, and he's closer than a brother. And then you have your true sisters, true brothers in the faith to, to feel your pain, to, to experience your joy, and you get to walk together with them to the Father. The Apostle John said this we just in, in our study through First John recently. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. So if we struggle to, to love or to enjoy the family of God, maybe we need to know the love of the Father better. The next thing Peter says is be compassionate. This is, this is a, a guttural word. Uh, literally, have strong bowels for each other. That's a really romantic thing to say to somebody. Uh, have, fill it in your inner organs. Uh, I think social media has done something to us in this, is that our, our, our feelings have become detached from our actions. Uh, we can see suffering, but just as those feelings begin to well up within us, it's like, oh, look, Bob posted a meme about Parks and Rec. Like, that's how quickly we're gone. 
Uh, and just as the tears begin to well up over a sister's suffering, oh, hey, my aunt posted a recipe. And, and we walk through not just social media that way, but we walk through life, I think, that way uh, with attention spans that change just about as quickly as my wife changed out the fall decor and put up the Christmas tree. I mean, it's like that quick. Hey, I'm home, and it's different now. Um, <laughs> but compassion means you, you feel with passion for each other's plight. And you let it shake you down to your core. When you hear a brother is sick with, with COVID or that a sister is, is pregnant but experiencing complication, compassion is not just sending praying hands through text. No, uh, allow passionate love to well up in your insides so that you might cry out, Lord, please help them, help us. We're with them, help us. This is how the Lord is with us. I think one of the best ways to understand compassion is to look to the Lord himself. Jesus told us a great story about compassion. You probably know it. It's a story of a terrible son, right, who trampled on his father's love, a true prodigal. He blew it, right? Cashed out his connection to the family. He ran away, blew it all, ruined his good name, spoiled really his life. And as he walked home, just, just to survive, just because he knew there was a job back there. As he walked home, Jesus said when the father saw him down the road, the father wasn't like, like we would be, I think, or that we are sometimes. He didn't sit on the porch with his arms crossed, thinking through in his mind how well he could express his disappointment in his son. No, Jesus said the father's heart welled up with compassion. He got up and he ran and Jesus is saying, the Father's like that, and I'm like that. When Jesus saw crowds that were sick, it says, it says he was filled with compassion, and he began to heal their diseases. When Christ looked at the crowds in Matthew 9, he saw people who were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. What, what rumbled inside of him? It was compassion. Down to his core, he was filled with pain and love all at once. And he knew what they needed, and he wanted badly to give it to them. The Lord had compassion on you. He saw your plight. And his heart was filled with compassion for you, for me. And his mercy poured out. The cross of Christ, the passion of Jesus, that was the ultimate act of compassion. So because of his compassion, now we get to take our turn. Francis Schaeffer said, Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. May Christ's compassion compel us toward compassion, uh, toward one another with compassion. And then the last attribute of this new heart is that Peter's going to mention is, and, and be humble. Oh yeah, just be humble. That's just one I'll toss on there. Uh, I mean, many have preached entire sermon series on humility, so I'm just going to give a quick, quick little tidbit. Uh, this is a, a, a compound Greek word that really just means think low. Peter started this list by saying, be of the same mind, and now he's going to say, be low in mind. So, so what will make us like-minded, sympathetic, compassionate? Humility. Be low. Augustine said, if you should ask me what is the first thing in religion, I should reply that the first, second, and third things thing therein is humility. And, and this is not, uh, humility is not self-pity, not self-hate. Rather, it's, it's just, it's being like your Savior. Are you willing to take the form of a servant? 
in whatever organization you work in, no matter what your role, are you willing to be at the bottom for others? Do you ever say things to yourself like, don't they know who I am? How dare they speak to me this way? How dare they ask me to do that thing? As a pastor, I, I, I fear this in myself. When I'm tempted to think, man, I'm too busy for those sorts of things. I have more important things to do. Uh, that's, a, that's a bad sign. Why? Why? Because the king of glory, the one who flung galaxies into space, he had to potty train. He had to learn to walk. He became a servant all the way to death. It's cool to hear Peter talk about humility because probably Peter's one of the last people we think of when we think of the word humility in the scriptures. Um, And I love to think now that Peter in his older age, he's thinking back onto his time with Jesus and all all of his confident speaking, all of Peter's inopportune sword drawing uh, from saying things like, hey, I'll never deny you, Lord. Oh, and then later that night, he's going to deny the Lord. Uh, He folded, right? He denied him three times. I, I think when Peter's replaying that, that denial in his mind, I can't help but imagine the new memory that he has is the memory that, of what happened a few hours before that when the king of all glory took a towel and he knelt down on the ground, low on the ground, and he washed Peter's feet. Jesus was low of mind, gentle in spirit, the ultimate authority, but truly humble. And not only that, but, but just only hours after Peter's denials, Jesus went even lower into the depths of the grave. And there he did not wash Peter's feet. He washed Peter's sin. Peter had seen up close and personal humility. And so the question is to us, have, have, has the Lord humbly served you? Then humble yourself. This is the heart that we need to face suffering. These are the ethics of the kingdom, the attributes of a changed heart, the attributes of our king. So suffering is here to stay, which it is. If we're going to be faithful, we need a new heart to do these things. A like-minded, sympathetic, compassionate, humble heart. We need the heart of Christ. Number two, we need to be a blessing more than we need revenge. Verse nine, he says, not paying back evil for evil, or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing. When, when you're persecuted, when, when people speak ill of you, how, how do you reply? Uh, revenge, I think, is something that we're, we are all born with. Uh, you don't have to watch a toddler very long uh, to know that they know how to return evil for evil. Uh, and, and Jesus, he had a lot of vengeance that he could have returned rightful vengeance from the cross he could have plotted such vengeance he could have dreamed of the final judgment when the father would crush these brutal guards who were putting him to death but instead as he hung there jesus said father forgive them they do not know what they're doing and even to us he he gives blessing the ultimate blessing rather than what we deserve rather than the vengeance that's due us He leads us in this, and he says to us, this is the way. That's my Mandalorian reference for the morning. This is the way. Uh, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't repay evil for evil. You don't need revenge. I don't need revenge. Why? Because God is the just one. He'll sort it out. 
And it, it would feel very good, I, I think, sometimes to, to pray that our enemies would be crushed. But he says, instead, bless those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. He says here at the end of verse 9, he says, You were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. This is the same spirit of Christ's call to his disciples in Matthew 10, where he said, Freely you receive, so freely give. We bless because we've been blessed. We receive something we could never earn, an inheritance that is never going to perish or, sp- or, or spoil. So likewise, we give blessing, even when those uh, when, when others are undeserving of it. And then he moves on to quoting Psalm 34, which kind of feels like this proverb in the middle of the passage here. Um, he says, here's, here's, here's what that sort of person looks like, that person who gives blessing. Here's what, he, here's what he looks like in verse 10. He says, for the one who wants to love life and to see good days, he said, you want the good life? Here it is. He says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursuing I pursue it. He's saying, you may, you may think that yelling back uh, is the good life. Uh, but Proverbs 26 says something about uh, what, what happens with our tongues when we speak evil. Proverbs 26 says, a gossip's words are like choice food that goes down in one's inmost being. So he's saying it smells good, it tastes good, it looks really good, but it's poisonous. It goes down deep in you, and it will destroy you. So how, how, how are you doing with this? Peter's asking here, do you, do you seek peace and pursue it? When that person says something wrong about you, when someone posts a nasty thing on, uh, on your social media account, uh, the good life feels like, uh, feels like, I'll say, I'm gonna, I'll show them, type, 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 type. Uh, mm, choice foods, this is delicious. Uh, but Proverbs 11 says, man, a cruel man brings ruin on himself. When we suffer, our, our flesh is going to try to convince us that the good life is to track everyone down and let them know, to run off at the mouth, to defend yourself to every critic, to, to scheme up ways to bring vengeance on those who may speak ill of us. And man, I, I, I'll confess, my flesh is drawn to that. I think, I think we all are. I think we're drawn to that. I, I, but I, I'm, I'm thankful. The, praise God through, through my wife at times. There have been times in my life where, he, where I, I've been tempted to just, man, I'm just going to tell them. I'm just going to let it rip. I'm going to give full vent to my thoughts. And by God's grace, she'll remind me, hey, there's, there's not life in that. There will not be peace on the other side of that. Peter says, you want peace? Don't pay back Evil for evil or insult for insult, but seek peace. Give a blessing. Saying, run to the battlefield of peace. Be quick to confess, not slow. Run to relationships where there's no peace. Not to win, but with compassion, love, and humility. And the benefits of this good life, they're excellent. Look in verse 12. He says, the eyes of the Lord. This is what you get. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. You know what you get? You get the eyes of God. He's with you. He's watching you. He's listening to you. He's always with you, always available. You're never forsaken. And then lastly, number three, we, we need gospel courage. 
instead of fear. In verse 13, he says, who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. So who will harm us? This almost is like a laughable question, almost a rhetorical question, because they have to be thinking. These people who, who know of Peter, they know of the persecution that's happening. Uh, there we go. Um, Nero. Nero's about to harm a lot of people. But Peter isn't saying, who could possibly harm you? He's saying, what ultimate harm can they bring? This is the exact same thing that, that Peter had heard uh, from Jesus before his death in Luke uh, 21. Jesus said, here's, here's what's going to happen to you. He said, they're, they're going to lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And then, and then he says even more, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. And then here, here's his clincher. He says, but not a hair of your head will perish. So he says, you, some of you will die. But not a hair of your head will be lost. Nothing that is, nothing is truly lost if you belong to Jesus. This is, this is a re regular refrain you see from Jesus. He says, you will have trouble, but take heart, have courage. I overcame the world. You're blessed when people insult you, when they persecute you. You're blessed. Why are you blessed? You're not blessed because it won't hurt much. This isn't the uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me sort of theology. He isn't saying being passed over for, for a promotion because of your faith, that won't hurt. He, he isn't saying being rejected by friends because you keep talking about Jesus, that's going to feel really good. He, he isn't even saying death. If death comes to you because of my name's sake, that won't be painful. That's not what he's saying. No, he, he says you are blessed because even in that I'm with you. And your inheritance, it's secure. It's secure. Your reward is imperishable. The psalmist says it this way in, in Psalm 56. He says, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? If you trust in the Lord, even in the suffering, fear is gone. Tertullian, the early church father, he said this way. He said, prison does for the Christian what the desert did for the prophet. Call it not prison, but the place of retirement. The body is shut in, but all is open to the spirit. It may roam abroad on the way to God. The leg does not feel the chain if the mind is in heaven. And throughout the ages, Christians have suffered in prisons, in labor camps. The very recipients of this letter, remember, Many would suffer. Peter himself would suffer. The Christians in Rome, many would be turned into human torches because of their allegiance to Jesus. And even today, through captivity, through beatings and beheadings, the church of Jesus suffers. And so if, if you suffer, 
even lightly. Even just the suffering of relational difficulty. Don't despair or complain. Don't rage. You are blessed. You're part of a brotherhood of those who suffered for Christ. Consider it joy. Like Paul who said, you're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. You're perplexed, but you're not in despair. You're persecuted, but not abandoned. You're struck down, but never destroyed. This is what Peter was preparing the church for, and it's what he's preparing us for. Don't be afraid. Have courage. And he says at the end of verse 14, he he says this. He says, do not fear. Don't fear them or be intimidated. And I, I love this because remember Peter's fear when he was so fearful of being connected to Jesus. Well, I mean, he, this, was, this is a different Peter, right? We're getting a different Peter now. He's no longer cowered in the corner. He, there's no fear of man in him now. The Holy Spirit is empowering him. He's giving full voice to the church. And he's saying, you don't have to be afraid. And what's cool is he's at, Peter's actually just he's quoting Isaiah 8 here. And here's what Isaiah 8 says. It says this. It says, do not fear what they fear. In fact, some people think that the, that the actual, the, the text in uh, 1 Peter 3 should be, instead of not, don't fear them, don't fear what they fear. Isaiah 8, do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. And, and this, is, this is the song that Peter's just going to keep singing. Don't fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts, regard Christ as holy. And man, I, I, I really think that that really lands where we are this week. Peter's quoting Isaiah, don't be afraid of what everyone else is afraid of. Instead, look to Jesus. How, how many of us, how many Christians have just tremendous fear over this election on Tuesday? And look, I'm not saying anyone's concerns aren't legitimate. I say be involved. If you haven't voted, vote. But whatever concerns you have for our country, don't fear what they fear. God is with you. You are blessed forever. He cannot be stopped. And I think right now the fear in the air is kind of palpable. It's like it's just part of the, it's the air we're all breathing right now. And it's, it's, man, if this party wins, we're in trouble. Uh, I'll lose this freedom. I'll lose my rights, this religious liberty. The economy will die. My job will be in danger. Uh, our country's on the precipice. Injustices will continue. And look, all those things really matter. But persistent fear amongst the people of God is really more a kind of, I think, functional atheism. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He said, our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never really be lost, and the best things are yet to come. We must be those who believe this. When the world fears Tuesday, followers of Jesus can stand in courage. What are the fears that paralyze you? What keeps you awake at night? Is it the fear of your children failing, your spouse leaving? Is it fear for your job, your reputation that you might be exposed as a fraud? Do you fear the political unrest? Do you fear the rise of things like socialism? Is it cancer? Is it getting old? Is it being alone? 
Do you fear COVID? Do you fear terrorism, financial ruin, global warming, war? Do you fear being cast out, judged, canceled because of your faith? If fear plagues you today, regard the Lord. Look to him. Fear him alone. And then have great courage. Don't fear what they fear. If your Savior is really alive from the dead, then no matter what you lose, if tomorrow you lose all of it, everything you need is still yours. Your inheritance, your hope, it can never be lost. And if this sort of humble courage, this quiet, unshakable spirit belongs to you, then when calamity comes, when your candidate loses this week, you won't fear like the rest of those in your party. Better yet, when your candidate wins this week, you won't rejoice in the same way that many will as those who have pinned all their hopes on an election. And many will ask you, they'll look at you and they'll say, what's wrong with you? Why are you so unmoved, so unshakable? And our answer will be, Jesus, I have a different hope. With Christ as your Lord, your your life stands ready. As he says here in verse 15, he says, at any time, To give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. The most powerful apologetic for the gospel is not manuscript evidence, not fulfilled prophecy. These things are fantastic. The most powerful apologetic is a man or a woman of hope. One who lives amidst great suffering and yet is courageously unmoved. Whose hope is unshaken. Are are you ready? Will you be ready this week to give reason for your hope? If not, suffering will send you cowering to the corner. But I want to say this. If you are ready, suffering will be one of your biggest megaphones for the gospel. I want to end by reading Psalm 27 over us. When you're afraid this week, when you have fear, read this psalm. Let it sink in. Let me read read it over us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumble and fall. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of my adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. And then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And then he ends this way in verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Church, by his grace, may the Lord grant us humility and courage that we would wait for him. He is with us. May he make his name great among, amongst us as we hope for him. Let's pray together.
Father, these things that you have called us to, this humility, this courage, this lack of fear, this giving a blessing, these things are not innate in us. They do not come naturally to us. They will not come out of us apart from a work of your grace, apart from the move of your spirit, working in us, moving through us. And so, Father, this week, would, would we be those who have unshakable faith in you? Not because something is not, that nothing is fearful, but because you are over all of it. And our hope is in you. And so, God, would you lead us now? And would you help us by your spirit? And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.